Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast! Hey, Nerdist Podcast listener, do you live in a city? We might be coming to that city. January 28th, we'll be in San Francisco doing the Nerdist Podcast Live as part of SF Sketch Fest. March 2nd, Boulder. March 3rd, Austin, Texas. March 23, Philadelphia. March 24, Atlanta. March 30th, Minneapolis. April 12th, Madison, Wisconsin. April 13th, Chicago, Illinois. April 14th, Iowa City, Iowa. And more dates are going to be added soon, so check out Nerdist.com slash calendar to get information and tickets on all of those shows. Do you have domains that you want to register, or are you with a company that maybe has pissed you off in some way? Well, then take your domain business over to Hover.com. Hover is domain registration and service that is simple. You can actually call Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. There's a no-hold policy for customer service. You actually get a live person. They will talk to you, walk you through, which you probably won't even need because their UI is so clean and simple. The registering domains is a snap. You can set up email addresses, forward email addresses, redirect domains to other websites, uh, create URL extensions, set privacy controls, and it is literally just a few clicks. So if you need any domain business at all, please go to Hover.com. They've been an amazing sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast for quite a while now. That's H-O-V-E-R.com slash Nerdist and use the offer code Nerdist to get 10% off your domain registration. I thank them for their continued support of our Wee Podcast. And now the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 156 with David Cross. And after listening to this podcast, be sure to check out the new season of David's show, The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret. The season premiere is January 6th, that's Friday, it's 10.39 Central on IFC. And now here's the podcast! Now entering Nerdist.com Talked a lot about Twilight Zone because he had like tons of crazy Twilight Zone props, like even like a, a, a credit plate, like with the background on it that they actually use. Uh, his uh, fandom of the show, or is he doing? No, just he's just a fan. He's fan. Yeah. David Cross, it's nice to see you. We're recording the podcast now. All right. That was the official <laughs> start. We just kind of stumble into it. We just fall into it, like we just got home from an all nighter. <laughs> and we're just in the midst of it. Uh, where do you uh, do you live in LA now? What's going on? No, no, no. I uh, I still live in New York or based out of New York. I haven't been there too much in the last uh, you know couple of years. But um, but also my girlfriend uh, is lives here or or I mean she lives with me in New York, but also has a place here. So um, coming here is quite easy. There's no it it's. It's not like I'm coming to a place where I have to get a hotel room or crash right. at somebody's house or yeah. get a sublet or something like that. So it's, um, so I'm here more often than I normally would for somebody who doesn't care for L.A. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I'm unclear on this. You do not like Los Angeles? I I don't. You know, I'm not one of those. Uh, I hate L.A. L.A. sucks. But and I lived here for nine and a half years, and you find enjoyable things about it, which there are many. Um, but I I much prefer New York to L.A. I guess put it that way. But yeah. do you you don't live in the city anymore, right? Don't you live like upstate New York? Um, I have a place upstate, and I spend um, way more time than I ever imagined I would up there. Um, 
you know, I have to be in the city for either if I'm doing sets or yeah. whatever work there is. Um, and, uh, and you know, my, my place, I don't know that many people up there. It's a very, very, very small town. And, uh, um, it's just nice to have. Oh, it's great. I'm, yeah. I'm there way, I never, I thought it would be kind of a weekend thing occasionally, but I'll, I'll go up there and say for four days and four turns into six, turns into eight. And, um, it's just, it's great. It's one of the best things, best decisions I ever made. Nice. That's, it's almost kind of like, like how, um, Zach bought a place in North Carolina and then just spends as much time there as yeah, possible. Farm. Yeah, I know. I mean, I have friends, um, uh, other friends who live in the city, um, and also some people I've met, uh, since I've been up there who, uh, have places around, uh, maybe not necessarily down the street, but, um, uh, a surprising amount for such a small town in the middle of nowhere in Sullivan County, you know, uh, and who are up there quite a bit, you know, um, and yeah. How far away is it from the city? <laughs> like how long? It's uh, two hours and change depending on traffic. It's, oh. I've, I've made it door to door. I'm in the East Village and door to door in two hours at the you know at its best and i guess at its worst not uh, excluding something like hurricane irene something like that it'd be two and a half hours That's totally so depends bad. on two, there's two places where there's traffic one is the fdr going over the george washington bridge in the city and the the other is the last half hour is on a one lane tiny winding road uh and if you get behind, you know, a truck or something yeah. or some guy and you just can't pass for 15 minutes will go by. Did you have to make the Irene evacuation? Um, no, I was actually upstate and oh. and stayed there. Um, uh, and then going, but going back home at, like two days later, um, all of uh, this big chunk of uh, 87 was shut down. So I had to loop through. New Jersey, and it took four hours. Oh, yes. I had to go Christ. off of the main, like, like go out of the state and go <laughs> approach it from another state. You know? <laughs> with all of the weird differences between New York and Los Angeles, have you thought about writing uh, with comedy? Have you thought about yeah. really devoting a lot of stand-up to the differences between these two s- disparate cities? Um, well, I have a, I have a, a humorous T-shirt line. Um, <laughs> and uh, is, it, is it with these T-shirts that Bryce Capants was wearing? They're, they're, all, um, they're all accompanied by uh, um, Cheech and Chong candles. Really? Uh, I, I was able to buy a, a, a ton of Cheech and Chong candles. How do you get those? In, That's amazing. Um, it's online. I you didn't it. make your own Cheech and Chong candles? No, I mean, I literally, there, there are... That? There are licensed products out there, Jonah. Yeah, there's 600,000 uh, units, and I got them... Uh, um, I was watching Storage Wars, and... Uh, <laughs> bit on a locker we talked about that earlier <laughs> oh, yeah. um no i mean maybe that's why i'm a little hesitant to i know i, I, I do it just because yeah. it, it is so trite and uh kind of cliche um that's fine uh, we could just talk about men and women then <laughs> you know they always go to the bathroom in groups i hear oh sorry i was thinking black and white oh me yeah, too yeah. i meant black people <laughs> can i say i've made an observation that um Black people are from Mars, and white people are from the planet Earth. <laughs> um, I mean, there's your book title right there. Uh, there it is. 
But you have to have the intonation. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's audiobook only because you have to. Yeah. Oh, I want to. I haven't heard. I want. I want to listen to your audiobook because you just completely fucked around with it. I did. Well, I did in you know to make it a little different. Like, uh, um, uh, and I've tried to do that with most stuff I put out. Like a, uh, a DVD of a concert is different than the CD portion, and, and vice versa for all those things I did. But um, so the audio, the audio version of the book. Um, like I had a lot of people do this. This isn't unique, but I had, you know, John Benjamin and Kristen Shaw and different people do different things in it. Um, I also had, uh, Lasavi Fob just take over a section and just start singing what was a, basically a, a six page list of things. Yeah. Um, long song. Long song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was great. Uh, Yola Tango does backing music for, for one of the stories I, I read and, uh, and then one thing that I would have to go back because I haven't heard it, but uh, I've had a number of people. When I say number of people, I mean like a hundred people personally say this. And then people wrote in, you know, on my Facebook page and who were legitimately angry. Not not angry, I'm going to punch you, but really like, hey, man, what the fuck kind of attitude. Like, I, you know, I, I thought that was bullshit because there were various times where I would say, oh, yeah. Um, and I don't know how many. I'm like three or four, maybe. Like uh, I'd be reading it, and then I'd stop and go, "Why? You know, why are you listening to this? It's so lazy. Just get the book. Read. What happened to reading? Why I think it was more than it? three times. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. ha- I'd have to listen to it. Yeah. Were you one of the I like doing. Times? I like doing both, though. That's the thing. Like I, I got the book, but then I also got the audio book. But I also, I, I didn't really. I'm not really serious when I go. No. You, you're losers for listening to this. I mean, I was fucking around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, I but guess do you I, feel do you feel like that because 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 of your presentation and because your delivery is very sort of matter of fact when you're talking on stage? And do you, do you find that in your head, you, if someone's not getting it, you're like, you really think I'm serious about this? Does that, does that ever yeah, piss of you course. off? Oh, I mean, I'll say it. I'll even if if you sense it because sometimes you can sense it, and certainly, uh, um, it's an it's an evolution from when I started before anybody knew who I was, where I wanted them to believe I, I was fine with people hating me or, or walking out or complaining. If I, then I was doing my job, you know, where, um, I wanted people to think that I was deadly serious about this absurd thing that, uh, I was saying or, or false anger. But, but now it's a little trickier because people know me and, and if they think I'm seriously upset with them, then I'm, then that's that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be less people to get upset with next time. Did you did you start in New York or San Francisco or, did, or was it neither? Boston. Right? I, I always I always think of you Let's as like Atlanta. coming down from the. Mm. My, okay, you're you're right, Atlanta. But but I but I guess in my 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 comedy history because I came into the I started watching the sort of that whole scene in like 91 or two, I think mm-hmm. like right around when everyone migrated to Luna lounge or wherever it was. Right. And so I just assume like, Oh, you came down from San Francisco with like Barrett and all those guys. No, I mean, we all, I mean, as water seeks its own level, we all knew each other just from, uh, mutual friends and things like that. And, and, uh, um, I started in Atlanta, but then, that was the that was such a, a that was the rawest start you can imagine <laughs> i was 17 18 years old wasn't very good didn't hadn't really found my voice and wouldn't for a few years and and but that was the first place i i did shows first place i did stand up 
first place I did goofy things with my friends at, you know, uh, uh, some music club, uh, stuff like that. But I don't, I mean, that's, that's just the, the bare essence organic start. Um, where I really kind of came into my own was Boston. I moved to Boston when I was 19, and that's where I met, you know, Louis C.K., Janine, Lord Keitlinger, Marin, you know, all, all the guys you know of. Um, and, and obviously many others that you don't. <laughs> Look at that guy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I wish I had gotten a quick picture he... of that. That's a pastel green sweatshirt wow. underneath. Uh, pink. It's, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say shrimp colored. And, uh, sandals with socks on. It's, is he, is He's he, with them, I assume. Is he gay or just foreign? Foreign. He's a wow. foreign gay. Wow. He's so confused. He's a foreign gay? Um, <laughs> well played. Wow. Well um, but yeah, Boston's where I really kind of came into my own and and developed my voice. And that's fascinating to me because I always think of Boston comics as like more not shouty, but really just like fucking grabbing the audience by the scruff and well, being like, "Here I are think jokes." That's why. That's why this whole notion of alternative comedy, even before it was before there was a name or a label for it, because um, that didn't really come around till we were in New York and L.A., you know, mm-hmm. in 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 the early '90s. Um, but that that it, to use the the true definition of the word, that stuff that we were doing, all the people I mentioned, um, and there are dozens more, you know. Uh, um, that was truly an alternative to exactly what you're describing, which was 90% of Boston comedy, which was shouty and, and uh, you know, there's kind of a, a macho braggadocio. Yeah. Uh, and I hopefully will, you'll start using that word braggadocio. Braggadocio. And uh, <laughs> um, there was that, you know, that... that uh, Vinny braggadocio. There was <laughs> the, the, the swagger. It was very sexist. There was... Uh, um, uh, subtle and not so subtle racism to it. It wasn't and subtle. It was, uh, it was never subtle. You know, there, there was, it was, uh, uh, it was loud. It was confrontational, and you know, people loved it. And then we had uh, one or two. Uh, we had we had Catch a Rising Star in Cambridge, um, and then occasionally you'd have like uh, stitches or where Sam's. was that? Where was Catch a Rising Star in Cambridge? Right in Harvard Square. It's now I don't know what it is now, but it, that it turned into a bucket book. Oh, I think it's still a bucket book. It's yeah. still a bucket book. Um, that was just for me, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, uh, but that was the you know, or you'd do your own shows. We had uh, uh, like John Ennis, um, who's was on Mr. Show. Uh, uh, would kind of started this whole thing of doing shows in loft spaces, like friends' lofts in uh, South Boston and stuff. I remember John Ennis from a young comedian special that Joe Piscopo hosted, and they yes. totally put John Ennis on the spot. And Joe Piscopo was like, Hey, I heard you do a Joe Piscopo impersonation. And he was just kind of shitty to him and sort of put him on the spot yeah. to do his Joe Piscopo in front of Joe Piscopo. Yeah. Now, no one's really That's doing Joe Piscopo impersonations no. anymore. Yeah. Uh, did, was it weird? Uh, I, I always wonder from because when I look at your your guys' the, the comedy movement that I sort of, I mean that was the comedy movement I most identified with. And if you guys were in the senior class, I was like freshman sophomore class. When I, by the Talk time about like the Luna Lounge, yeah, exactly. I came in. I came in a handful of years. Uh, I came in a handful of years later. But I always looked at it as sort of um, you know, it's sort of I, I guess like a. 
I don't know how else to describe it, like a punk comedy movement because it's a react. It's sort of a in uh, the antithesis of what else was going on. Yeah, and, or alternative. Alternative. You know, yeah. It, it, I mean, that's why that uh, it eventually became uh, nationalized. I mean, it was it wasn't as you were saying before. San Francisco had their kind of comic. And then there was an alternative to that. And there were all the folks who came out of San Francisco um, who migrated down to L.A. So now Boston and San Francisco are now seeping in and then eventually taking over New York and L.A. And, you know, by the time, uh, I mean, when there was surf reality and, I mean, there were about five, there were about five clubs in New York that, you know, you could have, you could go to a, an alternative comedy show. Mm-hmm. It was before it had its name, and and uh, and same with L.A. Big and tall bookstore, and uh, you know eventually on cabaret and things like that. Um, and now it's all. I mean, it's all. They all bleed into one another, and it's all yeah. uh, firmly, firmly established. And there's yeah. no such thing as alternative to that anymore. Do you yeah. find it's kind of hard to present uh, to? I mean, when when a lot of the earlier stuff is kind of about just like fucking like showing your asshole at the system and then all of a sudden you become successful like is that is that weird is success weird i don't know you'd have to ask somebody who all of the sudden became successful <laughs> not all of a sudden <laughs> but i mean <laughs> it was a but was i mean a, for most of us it was kind of a long slog not hard but it was it was so which i wouldn't trade for anything you know um uh there was no kind of overnight thing uh there, there were many steps taken and and each of those steps is valuable because you learn more and you're um, making new friends, new contacts, and new uh, potentially new people you're going to work with, yeah. you know, in the future. And do you do you do a lot of sets now in New York? Because I, I, you're in LA, but I don't, I don't, I haven't heard that you're performing anywhere. Um, I I haven't done. I've done a couple of uh, a handful of things here and there. Uh, one benefit, one, and I did uh, Eugene Merman's. Um, fifth anniversary show at the mm-hmm. bell house in brooklyn and and a, a kurt and Kristen show and outside of that that those are the first three shows i've done since uh really since doing my last uh set on the tour that i did uh, two and a half years ago wow. Um, wow. or maybe it's three years no two years now but but i've been in london doing uh todd margaret mm-hmm. so and not that there isn't there's an opportunity to do sets there and i i used to do sets there a lot before but uh this is the second time it's uh i guess i'll phrase it as happened to me but i've just um i just don't have any material my head isn't and i've been trying and i'm like all right i gotta and, and i i don't have the skills or the capability to uh to co- focus and try to um, uh, almost like, I guess, filter my comedy sensibilities into three things. And right now I'm, tr- I'm thinking of other things in terms of story for this TV idea. And I need to kind of um, say, okay, I'm going to look at things like a stand-up. And the, the thing that, the weird thing I notice, like how does that translate how am I going to talk about that on stage as opposed to, oh, that'd be a good idea for this thing I'm working on. Right, I can have a character do this and that. And um, I just, it just has, I've literally written two jokes in the last two years. And that's, and I I don't write really, or I should say I've thought of two jokes have occurred to me. Right. 
um, outside of one thing that sort of writes itself, which was I was in um, London and I saw a guy, this is for real, I saw a guy wearing a the most impractical T-shirt you could imagine. It was in big, uh, shiny letters, and it said, uh, I'm in Miami, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can have fun with that, but that's like that's not really writing comedy, you know? It's well, yeah. telling you about this ridiculous Do you feel like t-shirt. you're just so focused on work and other stuff that you're not in situations anymore where you're kind of just free to react to stuff? No, I... I, I, I I don't really have any kind of excuse. It's not that. It's it's because, you know, a lot of the stuff, uh, my comedy has become more personal over the years and uh, um, more kind of autobiographical as opposed to what it used to be like. And, um, and you know, I could, things are going to happen to you whether you're sitting in an editing suite or at dinner somewhere. You're always going to have dinner. You're always going to be going from point A to point B and observing things and whether you're on in your car in LA or on the tube in London or on your bike in New York, you're still going to interact with people. And I just haven't, um, haven't been thinking in that way. And I, I need to kind of retrain myself to start thinking that way. Cause well, I do want to do it. I, I love doing stand up. It's just, and I had this happen, uh, uh, roughly eight, nine years ago, same thing where I just, um, had a, dry period for a, a good couple years where I just it just wasn't happening it, my brain wasn't working that way and I, I I'm looking to kind of jump start it and, and get back to and I, I even you know as I said I did those three shows and each time I'd go up there going I, I got nothing I'm hoping <laughs> this works I'm just going to try to ramble for 10 minutes I hope <laughs> you you know don't mind indulging me maybe some gem will come out <laughs> and not a whole lot came out I mean I talked each show I had a, I, I showed a slideshow from uh, one of the worst weeks I've ever spent in my life. Um, I had to go on a cruise, cruise ship for a week. And it was, um, it's a long, long, long story. And it was, it was just awful. It was, it was really depressing and infuriating and, and sad. And I've been talking about that. And I have a slideshow that accompanies it with pictures I took. Um, and people seem to be into that, but that almost feels like a performance piece thing. Did you really stand? Did you had to work on a cruise, or you had to go on a? You I had were... to work on a cruise. Ugh. it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a, it was awful. It was just, <laughs> and I, and here's the thing: I didn't really have to. I was made to. I was working on a movie. You'll you'll see it in a matter of days. <laughs> um, uh, they go to an island now. Yeah, they do. Um, well, uh, a couple of the cast members uh, end up getting chipwrecked. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was honestly in in my professional career the most um, miserable I've been, and the most poorly I've been treated, and disrespected. And um, there was, I did not have to go on this cruise ship, and they made me go. And it was in the middle of Todd Margaret. I had to come from London. Uh, and I was threatened with being sued, and it was just an awful, awful experience, and for for a number of reasons. And um, you had to peel the shrimp; it was terrible. <laughs> is that a euphemism? <laughs> um, and I, uh, so that is a that is separate though from the actual having to be on a cruise ship. And when I say be on it, I, I left once. I, I no, that's not true. I left twice. So there was a. Um, uh, but one time I left for about 20 minutes, maybe, um, 
And then the other, I was able to get out for about half a day. Uh, <laughs> outside of that, you were locked, trapped into this, in this, just the worst of American ideals, the worst of what we are as a country. Floating Vegas. Um, but not Vegas. It's a floating uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. It's not, <laughs> it's not Vegas. If it was Vegas, there's there's other things for people like us that we could enjoy. But there's there would be nothing. a bar at the bottom called the Double Down that you could go to. <laughs> there is nothing on, and it's very it's small, like it's very tight, compact. Uh, there's, um, it's it's faux er- everything, um, and. Uh, and it, and a lot of the, I've met a lot of cool people, uh, and I don't want to kind of paint this broad brushstroke of everybody because I, I um, there was like a, a poker table, and I would play Texas Hold'em um, with ba- roughly the same twelve, fifteen handful of rotating folks in there, and uh, they were all really great. Most of them were, and um, but just. Uh, some I, I have this level of celebrity. It might you know Mark Rivers. Yeah, yeah, very uh, well. Mark, one time we were out. Did the theme song for theme song for Mr. Show? Yes, yeah. amongst yeah, amongst many, other many other things. things. Yeah. And uh, um, he said he was like, "Dude, you need to either you need to either get more famous or less famous because the level you're at, <laughs> there is no respect. People feel fine coming over, going." Hey, just right, interrupting your dinner with whatever you're on the phone. Hey, you're uh, what are you on? What do you? You're famous, right? <laughs> what is the, what's the thing you're on? And uh, that's that's that is a, that is the side effect of being on television versus being a movie star, where people are afraid yeah, yeah. to go up. But on television, it's like, ah, hey, this fucking guy's in my living room every night. I, I, I can talk to the guy. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, what was that? Uh, I don't watch television, but what was that thing you're on? Yeah, very well, much so. Yeah, what was and, that uh, thing that the story Posehn had where he was like uh, in Vegas and a guy like went up to him and just started poking. He's like, eh, eh, I'm being irritating like you are on TV. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why do people think that's okay? I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> well, my, my favorite is the... Um, and by favorite, I mean least favorite, uh, <laughs> is the um, the guy or woman, it's mostly a guy, nine out of ten times, who does the fake, like, listen, I don't, you know, I don't know who you are, but my girlfriend says you're famous, and, you know, who comes over, like, <laughs> with this kind of apologetic, half apologetic, and like, no you know, real reason to come up at all. No, no real reason at all. And where's your girlfriend? Where is she? Yeah. You're pointing to a corner. I see 150 people there. <laughs> You know, she said you're famous, and uh, like I don't get, I don't give a shit. I don't watch TV, but anyway, she said, uh, you know, yeah. So what do you do? Who are you? Now, what's funny oh, about yeah. that, and particularly, <laughs> particularly with with actors and comics, is that a lot of a lot of performers are relatively uncomfortable one on one with strangers. So to have someone confront them in that way. And to come up and be like, hey, 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 mm. what are you? You're just instantly like, why are you talking at me? Yeah, it's it, but I I I say those things to give you a context for being on this claustrophobic right cruise ship with literally thousands. It's, it was the California Dream. Uh, I'm sorry, the Carnival Dream, which at the time was the largest um, pleasure cruise ship on the planet. We know what the Carnival Dream is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you do. Now you do. <laughs> And uh, it's really tight spaces, claustrophobic, um, and uh, you gotta spend the extra money to get the balcony. Otherwise, you'll just kill yourself. It, it's it's just, uh, you know, it, it was seven days of 
I stayed in my tiny little room. It was it was teeny tiny. If you've ever seen a picture of those things, where like the toilet is next to the sink, next to the shower, it's all one thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you walk in and your you know your bed's right there. There's a little monitor and a uh, kind of desk dresser thing that sticks out of the wall, and then the wall. And it's just that. And I spent most of my time in there. It was Ugh. just because you'd walk around and people, hey, it's Chick Papa guy, hey, <laughs> or hey, Alvin the Chipmunks, hey, get over here. <laughs> Get over here, Uncle Ian. <laughs> Get over here. <laughs> and and also, I sh- to uh, to kind of justify my whining about this, uh, the scenes that they wanted me to there for. Um, there were three scenes. My character in the beginning uh, of the movie is, is certainly the part that takes place on the cruise ship. Is in a mascot uniform, like a foam rubber. Uh, cruise ship mascot uniform not an inch of flesh is showing nothing (laughs) and here here's the kicker ready for this no dialogue no dialogue you can't see me now I'm surprised you didn't get a better stateroom I'm surprised you get a better stateroom there, I don't know if there are better ones really Uh, um, there there it was the they were they're renownedly cheap. This uh, this studio, and they're 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 um, infamously, you know, uh, many many people complain, but they, I mean, they were sticking the wardrobe people three per three people to a room. When when I say it's tiny, I mean go look on a on the website. It's oh, it's, they're very small rooms. It's have you been on a cruise? I mean, nothing. Yeah. Uh. There's no room. I can't imagine. I mean, it was tough for one person. I can't imagine three. And those, and the uh, the amount of obese people. That's what was truly. <laughs> well, like, how are they getting in and out of that room? The buffets that bring them in. But how <laughs> the room itself, like a uh, like. A, you have to grease up, and then you, you yeah. grease through the. I, d- from I don't the know how they do it. The toilet. It's got to be particularly <laughs> difficult. Oh imagine. man, man, oh man. I I remember well. I want to talk a little bit about Mr. Show, but I also I do want to thank you because um, you're welcome. <laughs> I want to thank you for Mr. Show. Thank you. I actually do want to thank you for Mr. Show, but, be- but, but you're but, welcome. But before that, I do want to say um, September first or second of two thousand one. We're all at Bumbershoot, uh, having a good time, not giving a shit about anything, not going through crazy security at airports. We all go back to New York. September tenth, I was with you, oh my God, and we were out until like four o'clock in the morning. Really, I remember that. That was what. That was the opening of Luna. Yes, that was the mm-hmm. the first. Yep. the first night of that the Luna season, Lounge. Yeah, and in I, the East Village. I hosted it. Yeah, yep, yep. Which was a great Monday night comedy show in, in New York, and yeah. uh, and I barely slept because I was, but you know, I was supposed to get on a plane the next morning to fly back to L.A. And then September 11th happened, and then it just felt like even that day, it felt like the night before where we didn't give a fuck about anything and we were up all night drinking. It felt like it was six months ago. Oh man, I couldn't even. Uh, I I I just remember the particulars. I don't remember the night so much. I remember getting really hammered, and um, and we all had a good time. And I met that girl, uh, whatever. But um, uh, <laughs> we were all running around, and uh, and it was a really. And it also, there was that spirit of like, hey, Luna Lounge, you know, the season's back or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's gonna be great because it takes the, the com- there's, there's a lot of comedy takes off for the summer in New York, and then in yeah. the fall it starts back up and people are into the groove again. Yeah, and it was literally the first Ugh. night back of uh, you know the Luna nights and uh, and yeah, we I think we went to Max Fish. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that sounds street. familiar. Yeah, we that, went to I, Max Fish. I remember playing a pinball machine somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Max Fish. Right. So, uh, but 
but we had a great time, and then that happened, and then I sort of got tra- you know, I sort of got stuck in New York because I didn't want to travel back and forth. And then you actually called me, I think it was that day or the next day, to make sure I was okay. And I always thought that was really nice, you know, because I knew you from we, you know, you worked on Trashed, which was the, oh, my God. very first job at MTV. It was going way back, nineteen ninety four. Well, that I mean, that would have been one of the first things I did too. Uh, I mean, I came out to LA for Stiller, but after that, I, that was probably the very next thing I did. Oh was wow! Good stuff on trash. Yeah. Oh, the Stiller show. Oh my God, the Stiller show. That I, I took a t- I took a tape from MTV that just said like the best of the Ben Stiller show. It was just a VHS tape that I took in the late nineties, and it was tapes. every fucking. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a gr- it was an amazing collection. I mean, I, I watched I wore that tape into the ground, just like every fuck you know, like yeah. Manson and Kate Munster and just every fucking I, I TJ Fridays. The, yeah, yeah, TJ TJ Pootertoots. TJ Pootertoots. Yeah. Um, I'd forgotten that you wrote on that show, and then we're on that show. That's yeah, sketch. towards the end, I I was. Uh, yeah, Dave with a big bunch of curly hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty baldy. Um, yeah, and then uh, I think Trash was probably I, I would imagine literally the next thing I did was uh, we just came in and did those little um, vignettes. Yeah, was, uh, Steve Higgins writing on Steve it? Higgins yeah. was the head writer for that. Yeah, uh, and actually, so was Dave Higgins was a yeah. writer, and then he left to be on the Ellen sitcom. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Gruber, uh, and then Joel Hodgson and Odenkirk did stuff, and Dana Gould and Margaret Cho and Janine. It was a it was a it fun was, group of people. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. And then so that sort of felt like Mr. Show kind of redefined how a comedy show I think could be done. And I, I you know I would you would see that for years later because it's a good format where you're on stage sort of you know like in the midst of a conversation and then that kind of bleed that that throws into a sketch. Right. Right. I mean, we were, that was a calculated thing we, we did. It was a conscious effort to do that. Um, uh, but also clearly uh, taken from Monty Python, that idea of the, um, although they, they, you can't really tell they did their shows live or they, they did, you know, uh, the, the, it looks live. It looks like, they're, right. but you never see their audience or anything. You kind of hear them sometimes. And, and we wanted to, um, Make make the audience kind of a part of the show. You yeah, know? that's why we we'd walk through the audience or start the intro with a camera going. You know, the, the, there's a person who represents a character that's going to be in the show, and and then the camera goes past the audience, and then you know we talk directly to them and stuff. And that was a, a conscious thing we did. Did they bring in? <laughs> did they bus in just random audience people, or did you actually the, people the fir- actually know what the fuck they no, were no, saying? No, no. The first, uh, you know, the first four, the first season, quote unquote, were, were just four episodes, very experimental, very low budget. Uh, we shot it at a <laughs> at one of those spaces that you can rent on um, one of those side streets between Hollywood and Sunset, <laughs> and. Uh, it was, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a place that had, uh, there's a point where I turn the camera and point to the, um, the TV. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, point yeah. to the, to the, to the uh, menu and it's, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's real. We just left that shop. up there. Yeah. Wait, was <laughs> it know? at, uh, was it at, um, start with an L, I think. It was at, uh, wasn't it at like near, next to the Tamron Theater? Wasn't it like over there? I don't know where that is. That was the UCB now. So that's La Poubelle. No, 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 no. This was literally a side street off of Hollywood on, uh, in, on that Hollywood strip before before they redid it. And uh, okay. Before the Kodak Theater and all that oh, crap. Oh, I it, think I might. It was a tiny 
street, um, whatever. Uh, yeah. It wasn't Las Palmas, but it was somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, you could literally hear crickets that were in the <laughs> walls. Um, and the audience was bust in, and, and there was this moment there where, uh, you know, because we, we got very good at eventually uh, winnowing down the time between uh, takes and between setups and stuff because uh, we wanted the show to move quickly because uh, we had, you know, video pieces that would roll in and we'd have to set up, a, you know, the next set and stage and all that stuff. But in the first four episodes, we didn't have, um, we really didn't have it down yet. And so I'm sitting on stage waiting to... Uh, to get the cameras set, and th- these these kids were busting from uh, like Eagle Rock, and uh, um, I'm like, hey, what do you what do you guys think of the show? And they're like Hispanic seniors in high school, and he's like, y'all needs more color, man. <laughs> <laughs> and they they were right; we had no color at all. That's when Jerry Miner was hired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> get us Jerry Miner. Yeah. Oh, adding color to your show, I see. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just it was high school kids from Eagle Rock for the first four episodes, and we had some of our friends, you know, people who knew us, and and we had done um, Bob and I had done at least five, if not six, seven kind of variations of Mr. Show in in places live before it was a TV show, before we conceived of it as a TV show. So there were um, folks who who knew us from there, you know, the comedy community, yeah, you guys uh, who would come down, but you know, they filled out that audience with. You know, not not really our crowd. Yeah. Uh, but that show really they was just left the Drew Carey show here. No, come to this. This, <laughs> is, this is pre Carlos Mencia, so they had nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> They're wandering around waiting for Carlos Mencia to get a show. But that, <laughs> when is this gonna happen? Yeah. Uh, Finally, I gotta leave. That show. Oh, you have to go to work. I have to go shoot B roll. Ah, shit. Hey. Matt's 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 producing a, a gadget segment that we're shooting today, so you have to go shoot B roll yeah. for the the computers. I don't care. Yeah, no. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I don't either. I think I do. All right. All Bye, right. Matt Meyer. I'll see you in a couple hours. We were on time, Chris. I could have yeah. the whole Oh, thing. Yeah, snap. Yeah. Oh, it was my fault. No, I'll take so that. good thing you weren't on time. I'll take that punch in the fucking nose. But you, you, uh, you have a, a great excuse. If there's, if there's an excuse for you to be late and keep me waiting for half an hour, it's that J.J. <laughs> Abrams wanted to keep talking. I'd do the same to you. He was... <laughs> Sorry, guys. J.J. Abrams. He was fucking more. amazing. It was, it was, sure. it was really great. A, that guy's amazing. Um, but... Uh, but I, but the Mr. Show was really sort of that's when that that kind of comedy movement really solidified. It was something that was totally different and really spoke to people who just needed something other than this, you know, than what was being offered on on, on television at the and, time. And it became an employer for so many people too. Um, I know, I know, you're speaking of of comedy fans outside of the LA universe. Yeah. But, um, but you know, we also when you look at the 33 episodes we did over those four years. I mean, we, a lot of people, we worked with a lot of great, you know, cool people and were able to give people jobs and stuff. We have pretty much most of the, like, the really smart, cool comedians who have popped in recent years did something or other on Mr. Show at one time. Uh, You know, those were all our friends, you know, it was very, um, but that was the scene in L.A. at that time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. and then did you and Bob write together or did you just did you bring an idea separately and then kind of go through it with the, the writer's room? What was um, both, but predominantly uh, uh, it was together. And, and the way we would 
approach each year, our writing staff kind of grew uh, little by little, adding one or two or two or three people each year, uh, adding an extra producer uh, between series two and series three. Um, and then in, uh, or, sorry, season four, um, I think we had five producers. You know, it was Bob and I and um, Dino Stamatopoulos and Jay Johnston, <laughs> um, which would be four, I guess. But uh, um, n- the way it normally worked is uh, Bob and I would meet for anywhere between two to four weeks, um, sometimes informally, and then once we got in office, we'd go in there just on our own, very loosely, you know, not not make an entire eight-hour day of it, but, you know, come in at 11, hang out till about four, and just start writing, you know? And, and we, the first hour of any day is always like, oh, my God, did you see 60 Minutes last night? Did you see this thing? Or did you read in the paper this thing? Or, oh, my, man, I had this, I got to tell you this story, uh, me and, you know, whoever, we were having dinner, and then this waitress came up, and, and you just sort of, shoot the shit or talk about this idea that you think could be uh, a sketch. And then we just talk pretty much, just uh, make ourselves laugh and talk about, you know, the thing we read or what we did last night. And then, you know, sometimes you come in with an idea that you thought of. And then we would write, you know, we wrote a bunch of stuff um, together before the other writers came in. And then it got more a little more formal. Right. Um, and would you guys have premises for them to script out or would you do uh, that? Sometimes, a, but yeah. often, uh, people would come in with an idea. We would table stuff. We'd, uh, twice a week, we'd all meet and uh, go around the room and pitch ideas. And, uh, Bob was pretty strict about being respectful to the ideas and, um, uh, for better or worse, you know, some, some, uh, there were definitely some ideas that were people were like what uh, <laughs> or 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 an idea or something that somebody had written um, and it in it immediately didn't nobody got it or it wasn't funny but then you go around the room and you add these little tweaks or ideas and uh, um, and you you know you you end up with maybe it didn't really resemble what it initially was, but you end up with this funny, cool idea um and then vice versa uh I remember coming in with the idea for what ended up I would say one of our three worst sketches um not that we didn't try it, and we we all kind of believed in it. there was a good idea there, but it just didn't translate, which was uh. I had this idea that just occurred to me one night, like, oh, you know, it'd be a really great practical joke if you had a party and then you went to your friends individually and said, like, Chris, Chris, come here. Hey, man, um, I'm going to tell everybody I got to go crash. I got to get up early in the morning. But oh. um, <laughs> when I do that, you stay here and we'll play, you know, we'll get it. We'll play Call of Duty or whatever the thing was. That was the idea for the practical joke where you get a, you have a party of like 20 people and you tell each person or a couple like, dude, listen, I'm going to go in. You just tell that to everybody, and then you <laughs> eventually go, all right, well, i got to crash and just watch everybody not leave. <laughs> yeah. So that, oh, that's a great idea. We should make that a sketch. And, uh, man, we tried so desperately. It got uh, so big. And it ended up with this uh, kind of higher concept where it's the queen, <laughs> and, like, what is happening? And yeah. It just didn't work. It didn't work. 
it never really worked. Uh, it, the the only good thing about it was some of the performances were funny and the concept was funny, but mm. as a thing, it didn't work. So that's an I that's the the reverse of that idea that everybody goes, oh, that's great, and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Do you prefer? Do you do you find you write from a different place in your head when you're when you're like putting a sketch together versus versus stand up, or do you feel like it's oh pretty completely absolutely? That's what I was. Uh, um, you know, trying to uh, intimate before was the idea that I, when I'm when I'm thinking in sketch terms, I see things in sketch terms. When I'm thinking in uh, longer arcing TV story ideas, I think I see the same thing and think of it in those terms as opposed to when I'm doing stand up. And when I'm, when it, it you know it's a very getting back into it, it's slow. It's a slow process for me um, because I don't write. I don't sit down and right you know and yeah. and uh to to my detriment i'm not saying that's a good thing at all it's just i just haven't i'm not a good co- joke writer and i never have been and i don't have the uh patience or capacity to do it and uh um I, most of the writing is kind of done on stage with this kernel of an idea and i just haven't gotten back into the stand up mode filter of seeing the same things that i would see that I have been seeing and making that a stand-up bit as opposed to I'm working on these couple different uh, TV show ideas and now I'm looking at things like, oh, how can I put that into that? And I need to sort of make a conscious effort, even if it's putting a post-it note on the door before I leave going, remember to think like a stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, when you were writing earlier, when you were writing on the Ben Stiller show and stuff like that, were you still going out and doing stand-up as a... Uh, as oh much. yeah, quite a bit. I mean, um, was that hard to like just? That's the the trouble I'm running into now that I'm like writing on shows is that you know being creative for some other entity all day and then having to switch gears for stuff for myself at night. I think that was the difference. Was I was writing for somebody else, so it, there was um, uh, not frustration, but there was this. It's not what I would normally be doing, like. Yeah. Uh, and and specifically with Ben Stiller show, it was often, you know, who, who does he want to imitate, you know, or who who, who what uh, TV parody are we doing? Um, and so it was easy, almost like a, a a release in a way to go. Okay, I did that for eight hours, and I was trying to, you know, figure out a Tom Cruise thing, um, and. And now I want to go out and use my voice, you know, do something uh, that's more me, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. When I'm doing this stuff, uh, especially if I'm writing for a character I'm doing on this TV show idea and this and trying to come up with this, you know, uh, um, larger Bible, this story arc for how can this thing last for three seasons and where would this character go and... um, I'm just, it's still, I'm thinking in terms of myself, and that probably uh, impedes that kind yeah. of thing. But but when I was writing for somebody else, uh, it was... So your creative energy wasn't spent at the end of the eight-hour day? No, no. Uh, it was almost, even if it was, I would just sort of, you, you leave, you take a breath, you exhale, you put that aside. Okay, I did that. That was my job today. And now... In the next couple hours, and you kind of rejuvenate when you hook up with your stand-up friends and you're yeah. at wherever, and um, and then keep in mind there were also those uh, 
like Luna, uh, um, sorry, um, Largo, uh, like uh, no, like Largo and Uncabaret. This or you had free to have Largo, your stuff. Oh, free Largo, like Uncabaret, where where you weren't supposed to do stand up. So that would. Oh yeah, Beth would. Beth Lapidus would say, "Don't do. You can't yeah. do. Just bring in a story that happened to you that day, which I think is a is a is a cool idea. I think maybe at some point, in some points though, you're like, well. I mean, a little bit of joke structure is okay. I mean, you know, just because it is a show, you know. But some people ignore that. Like, I know... People doing their material. I mean, you know that Dana Gould would go up there, and I I love and revere and totally respect Dana Gould, and and also who gives a shit about, you know, uh, the parameters that are imposed upon you by somebody else who's running that show. But Dana would often go up and, you know, do some autobiographical thing, and then he'd start doing stand-up and nobody gave i'm glad he did nobody cared but a lot of people kind of ignored that you know that edict from beth yeah that that all that stuff was was totally eye-opening for me and sort of life because just as someone who was obsessed with comedy my whole life but then to see it done in that way i was like oh my god I didn't know what I had been missing this whole time. It was a cool mix of people. Like there were, there were at least every show had somebody that wasn't a stand-up or wasn't necessarily a performer, you right? Know? Which was a, a smart thing to do. Yeah. You know? And then you're, I, I don't know why this always sticks in my head, but I think maybe a 2004 at Bumbershoot, you did a bit about something called Squiggles. Oh, Squiggles yeah. from yeah. Uh, what was that place Co- called? Cozy. Cozies. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're square bagels. Yeah. yeah, your your grandfather's bagels. <laughs> yes, they they yes. drop on the floor. They roll away. Yeah. Well, some of that came from. I don't think I showed it, or maybe did, did I at that show? I think you showed a flyer, or you showed you had post something because yeah. you, you would reveal was, it a little bit. Here's the thing: I went to, um, I shot a short film with Sam Cedar for the like I can't remember what it was like a New York who's now a real news comedy, guy. Yeah. yeah, New York comedy you know, something film festival thing that it, it kind of lasted for like three years and then went away. But um, I shot this little movie for it. And uh, uh, and we ha- we shot at the cozy uh, corporate headquarters or whatever in, you know, uh, in Midtown somewhere. And we're there. It's a Sunday. There's no security. And uh, I, that's where I saw the poster. I'm like, are you... And then, but uh, even better, and I still have it, is the cozy, I don't know what they call it, but it's, um, it looks like it's about a a seven minute film. It looks like they might have made for investors, maybe. It's about, it's like, um, it has the three guys from, I believe, Washington, D.C. is where they started. Um, And they're talking about the cozy philosophy, right? And they're these kind of guys that just graduated, maybe uh, George Washington, um, and uh, uh, or Georgetown, rather, um, kind of corporate, you know, Brooks Brothers shirts and, uh, you know, penny loafers. And they're they're probably like 31 and they're uh, three dudes, three, three bros hanging out, good friends. And we wanted to come up with the concept of <laughs> something that's more than coffee, you know, and it's just <laughs> bullshit from start to finish. And and uh, and I used to show that like, and, you know, I couldn't do it at like big shows, but I would show that around like uh, you got to watch this and I'd stop it. And um, and uh, it's like, what does cozy mean to you? It's and a lot of Dutch tilt zoom in <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, the cozy philosophy and all this garbage. And uh, 
Um, but that's where I got that stuff from was, was shooting in there. And I was lucky enough to be able to yeah. uh, grab some of it and throw it in my that backpack. Was the, that was the same bumper shoot that I saw your dick and balls because uh, there was a knock on my hotel room door, and you, uh, you and Nick Swardson burst in and started jumping up and down on the bed with no clothes on. You, you were one of uh, a number of people. We were going through the hallways. We got we got naked in the elevator. Ding dong dicked. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like completely, no, not even shoes and socks. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And then your clothes were like down the hall in a pile, yeah. which means that yeah. you had to take your clothes off in the hallway. I think we took them off in the elevator and then threw them down. <laughs> the idea would be like, what if somebody's getting on the elevator? <laughs> and uh, yeah, because we went into Posehn's room as well. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm very, I'm not shy about getting totally naked. Would you do that now though, where someone could just like take a picture of it and upload it right to Twitter? Would you give I a shit? I did it uh, when Amber and I started going out. She was in New York. Uh, she had just moved in with me, um, and. <laughs> I had met some of her friends for the first time, and we were at Great Jones, and um, we were all drinking, and and this is in the winter, too. She was shooting The Unusuals, and um, and I can't remember how it started, but I did. It was when the 300 movie came mm-hmm. out, um, or was about to come out, and they were incessantly running those commercials, like, I am Sparta, and I said it. I don't know why I did it, and then... There was a table, um, and they were kind of joking, like they knew who I was, and they were like, that wasn't very good. Yeah, that's not much of a Sparta. And then I ended up, I took my shirt and uh, took my shirt and sweater off, and uh, and then I yelled it in the middle of the restaurant bar again, <laughs> and they're like, nope, next, or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah? And then I took all my clothes off and just stood there with my dick was next to this guy's face, like, <laughs> dangling about ear level. And I, I, Amber and I just started going out, basically, <laughs> like, not not too uh, much prior to that. And um, and her friends were there, and, and they've got plenty of footage and uh, pictures and stuff. That might... Oh, no, that wasn't the last time I got naked. No, I... Uh, it's such a cheap, easy thing. I don't care. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm fairly an open book, and uh, um, I don't have a large penis, but it's not small. It's not so small I'd be embarrassed. Right. Uh, it's completely average, and uh, I'll, that's fine. I'll take it. And uh, um, I was at the Groucho in London, which is a... I've been there. Yeah, it's kind of a posh, fancy like members. Like upper crust of British performers. Yeah. Yes. And we... I can't remember what we had all been doing. Uh, um, we we definitely weren't shooting, because I wouldn't get that drunk while while we were shooting, but... It was for Todd Margaret, and a bunch of us, I can't remember what it is we did, but we were somewhere, and then everybody said, let's go to the Groucho, and I got, I was like, I don't want to go there, it's so, you know, poncy, and, you know, it's just kind of douchey, and let's go to the Phoenix. Have you ever been to the Phoenix in London? I'll tell you about it later, it's awesome. Okay. Um, Let's go to the Phoenix, come on, and I just got outvoted, and... And so, my idea was to get us kicked out of the Groucho, so I... (laughs) took my clothes off and uh i did get kicked out and i ran through the kitchen that's how i got <laughs> and, we, and i eventually got my way and we went to the phoenix but that was the last time i got naked nice. how do they, do, do they are they are they freaking out are they like so you need to leave um a a more kind of uh rushed urgent sir you need to leave kind of uh they were they weren't freaking out but they were not happy with it and they were very kind of hands i would think the brits would think that was hilarious well, some did, but not the guys who worked at the... I oh, mean, sure. if you work at the Groucho, you're a certain kind of person. Right. You know? 
uh, to enjoy that kind of thing. And, you know, they don't want some drunk American, quote unquote, <laughs> comedian, you know, <laughs> sitting in a booth. I was sitting in the booth naked. Like, that was my idea, was to just let somebody find me. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I was naked for about six seconds before they came running. <laughs> That's the idea. Has it been fun to do or, or different just to do uh, Todd Margaret over in London and then ship it back here? Yeah, it was great. I mean, uh, I kind of, uh, I would vacillate uh, almost, you know, monthly on whether I liked London or not. And it was often, um, you know, there was periods where it was, it got lonely, you know, and uh, I had a lot of great friends over there. The people I, I worked with and, and know there are great. Some of my favorite people in the world. I love them. Uh, I wish I could work with them again. Um, but, you know, everybody uh, would eventually go off to their families or girlfriends or boyfriends. And, and, you know, you go back to your flat that's not yours. You're subletting it for somebody else. And uh, you have dinner by yourself. And, you you know, I get my Harper's or whatever I was reading and go to the handful of places where people knew me. And... Um, you're just there and you eat by yourself, and then you go back and you're by yourself. And it's like being a comic on the road. You know? Yeah, but it was. It was. It was. It, oddly enough, I the weekends were kind of bummer. Like everybody, you'd you'd feel this relief, like okay, we don't have to. We got a couple days off, but you know, I, the weekend I just spend by myself, unless I occasionally I'd go to, you know, a, a football game with somebody or we'd go somewhere. But most of the times you're just hanging out by yourself. But this last year. I had my dog sent over, which is good. And, you know, Amber would come when she could. She was working, and she'd be there for two, two and a half weeks at a time. And um, and there were maybe two or three times I was able to get away for, like, four days. You know, there's a bank holiday, and, you know, we all decided, like, this, we're kind of ahead on the script or in production, so let's add a day. And so I went, I would go to, you know, the the... Cornwall or something and, and see another part of England and, uh, you know, something like that. But for the most part, it's kind of a, a – it just got a little lonely. But outside of that, it was uh, – I really, really like London. I like the people there. Um, I like the area I was staying at this last time, which was Notting Hill. Um, it was cool. I like I like and I like the culture there. I like the uh, I don't mean the culture like a lot of museums and stuff, but the 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 idea that collectively uh you know, you work and uh, you know, it, it, you leave and you go to a pub. And, yeah. and most everybody goes to a pub and you hang out and you have one, two, three pints. People don't get trash. I mean, they do on the weekends for sure, but um yeah, the pub's close at like 11. Like they they yeah, between eleven, twelve, and uh, and so you can hang it. There's like a social thing, um, and often people have a pint at uh, at lunch, you know. And everybody would go. the The place I worked at um, was this old uh, uh, warehouse uh, that they turned in this kind of business collective. It would be like this building where we were in now was from like eighteen forty, <laughs> yeah. used to you know ship mattresses or something around the world, but. Um, but they just, you know, redid the interior, and it had its own on-site pub oh, called wow. the Village Fair. Yeah, and and wow. you go out there on a nice day, everybody's out there having a pint or a glass of wine or whatever at lunch or two, and then going back to work, and you go back to work till whatever, six, and then you go to the pub, and especially, you know, if there was 
you know, if Liverpool was playing Everton or whatever, you know, there'd be somebody going like, oh, mate, gotta watch that game. And then you'd say, <laughs> all right, let's go. And you go to the pub down the street. And yeah, that's why I couldn't handle it. That's why I don't drink anymore because I would have started at lunch and then just been like, I'll just hang here, you guys. That's, yeah. I'll that's, just be here till midnight. I'm bad at just the, the one at lunch. But I, if you, you're, you wouldn't be, trust me. If you had to work and you had stuff to do, you'd get it done, you know? There was one time uh, on Web Soup where uh, Blaine just kept, uh, Blaine Capach just kept on buying drinks at lunch. And everyone's like, well, Blaine's buying. And then, like, and, you know, Blaine, of course, is drinking tequila. We're all downing beers. And then we all went back into the little and office that guy's we shared. skinnier than a whippet's tail. <laughs> he's tiny. <laughs> and he eats like shit. He eats the way he's like, it's like we're all go- going down to like Chipotle. He's like, oh, I don't want that stuff, man. And you see him eating two hot dogs at his he's desk. A, he's, a, he's a class yeah. five mutant. Like yeah. he's, he yeah. actually just he metabolizes everything at yeah. a super high rate. Oh, I need, I need some Coke. You can also um, run really fast. Uh, but like, yeah, then we all went back to the office and we all kind of started, you ever hear everyone kind of typing a little slower. And then uh, I kind of, all of a sudden, we'll go. Ah! And I looked around, and the three of us had all fallen asleep at our desks. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, we all, we have a few minutes left with you, but I I want to got to talk about. I absolutely have to talk about Arrested Development, which is was another one of those. I mean, you've been involved in a lot of shows where they sort of redefine how comedy is presented, and 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 Arrested Development was sort of, was absolutely one of those shows. Um, although you remember, he told a funny story at Mbar one time about how there was a scene where everyone was like eating food, but then everyone had a chum bucket because everyone was on the Atkins diet. And no oh, one. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it wasn't everyone. It was uh, the ladies. Um, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I know. Yeah, you're right. So that's a great one of those great little Hollywood things where. Um, yeah, we all had to be eating, and there were a number of people who would just spit it out. Like, really? <laughs> you don't even have to put that much in your mouth, or, or there's you can Chicken. fake swallow some of it and yeah. leave the rest of it in your. I mean, yeah, I end up doing that though when I fake eat. I end up just going through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I first started, uh, I did uh, before I knew about Chum Buckets. It was literally the first movie I ever did. Um, uh, outside of playing reporter number three in the Amelia Earhart story. Um, but I was um, at a, in a scene where it was a, uh, there were a bunch of people at a Chinese restaurant, and the food that, the, that they just, uh, you know, the art department or props or whatever, that was real, that was edible, that came out for us to eat was um, mushu pork. And, and that's one of my least favorite Chinese food things. I don't like the uh, hoisan sauce mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and, and I don't like shitty pork and um and i didn't know about i didn't even know about the takes and matching takes and so we're you know my character's eating and i'm rolling <laughs> up this thing and i'm like, mm, taking big bites of it and um and the you know i ended up having to do that and match it and eventually they that's how i learned about a chum bucket um <laughs> but uh yeah it's a boring story never mind no no i i, I want to on arrested was it were you involved with the writing process or like what, how? Nope. No, I, um, you know, uh, occasionally Mitch would say like, oh, you know, if you want to help out or, uh, y- you know, but there just wasn't, that wasn't really the, the protocol. And, and in the, everybody assumed it was highly improvised and it wasn't, it was just, it was so tightly written in the, Beginning, I'd say the fir- the pilot and the first, I don't know, the beginning of the first year, there was 
more improvisation, but really not a whole lot of room for it because, I mean, we got long scripts. Uh, that, that show, by the time you're cutting everything out, is it's, I think it's literally 21 and a half minutes mm-hmm. per, ep- per half hour that's on screen. And we were getting, you know, 44-page scripts. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, so a lot of stuff that you would even shoot that was scripted wouldn't make it in, you know? So we, we kind of quickly learned to, to not riff so much. And, uh, but it's a testament to the quality of the writing that people thought it was, you know? Yeah. And there was some in the beginning, a very beginning, but really not a lot after that. I wouldn't have thought that that show was that heavily improvised just because so, so, ma- so, many, so many tangential things became that would pay off later on or, you know, become major storylines. Yeah, in the, yeah. In the uh, later on, definitely. Uh, but, the, but in the beginning, uh, we got that a lot. I mean, uh, I know Will did. I know Jason did. Like, people just sort of had this um, just assumption. I I, I'm not sure why, but... They, well, because you guys are funny. You're comedian. Like, you're funny yeah. people, and they probably just assume, like... Yeah, just the docu-camera yeah. style, you know. Yeah. True. That yeah. probably had something to do with it too. Yeah. Are, are, is there any? Is there any further news about the? I'm sure everyone's asking you about the movie, which you're probably sick of hearing about. But I, I no further news from the point. Uh, whatever it was, I think in August. Yeah. Uh, where Mitch said something. And, yeah, and nothing. I'll actually I'll see Mitch. Uh, I'll see Mitch and Will on Saturday, um, and I can find out if there's anything more going on. But. Uh, uh, I have not heard anything, but I mean, there there was a a potential plan, a schedule, a a uh, kind of a, a a vague sense of when we'd be doing it, which was summer of 2012. So, you know, if that's good to go, then uh, and I know everybody to a person, everybody was like, "Yeah, we're in. Let's do it." Right. Yeah. I th- a lot of it, I think, is um, unfortunately. It's just the business of this business is it's the studios talking amongst themselves because the the plan is uh, it's just boring business stuff. But you know how like uh, the film department talks to the TV department. They're completely separate from this division of. Oh, yeah, the worst. And then each one of those places has a business affairs person. And then they start talking. And then it gets to when it gets to the lawyers and it's just like contest and, you know, everybody wants their. Not even like uh, financially their their claim and their stake, but kind of they're like this is our thing, you know. Hey, but you're yeah. not doing anything with it. <laughs> so it it unfortunately there's a bit of that to it, I think, you know. But in the, but in the mean but in the interim, the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret uh, is on yeah. IFC in the states. Great show. Um, and uh, does it is, is there the new season premiering? Uh, the new season, which will be the last season, it's okay. uh, it ends with this. Um, uh, as it was always meant to, you know, it's a story that's told over 14 mm-hmm. days. And um, uh, it, the, I believe January 6th is when Series 2 premieres, which literally picks up this second after when I closed the door uh, at the end of Series 1, the last episode. It takes up from that, that exact awesome. second. And, uh, but, IFC put together this uh, this recap special because there's it's so plot heavy and intricate mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, and so there's this there's going to be like this recap thing that's played up to the um, I don't know when they'll start airing that but um, up to the to the beginning of series two and um, and I think they're going to do like a marathon leading up into the next episode cool. um, but 
it, it basically goes back and catches you up and also shows you some of the uh, clues that are there in the first series as to what's really happening. And a number of people, and I, and I kind of, I wish it wasn't the case, but it was the case, and, and I can't necessarily blame them but we lost a lot of people who tuned in for the first two episodes which who went like what this isn't that funny i don't get it. you know in the first the first couple episodes are who didn't realize it was serialized and and we couldn't i couldn't promote the show by going like there's a lot of secrets and what don't watch <laughs> this watch that and you know you don't want people to go into a show like that you want them to discover these things and right. and people stuck with the show definitely like around episode four Definitely by five and six, we're like, you know, you could tell her like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a second. I get it. This guy is, you know, and seeing it more as a this kind of mystery or story or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then I would just say to people that if, the, if you haven't watched the show yet, just, you know, get the first season and, and glide into series two. Oh, do not. Do not watch series two without watching series yeah. one. It'd be yeah. stupid. You but I mean, but now, but now that on. people know, I think the benefit of the way people consume things now is that rather than having to wait and try to un- like... They can just watch yeah, everything yeah. at once so, and just well, kind of get well, the instant. Well, the DVD of Series 1, which has tons of shit on it. I mean, tons and tons of extra stuff. And, and definitely we we did commentary both in, in England and in the States with various people. And, you know, we, we point out, like, watch, here's a clue, here's a clue. Um, and here are the inside jokes that won't pay off until Episode 7 and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but that comes out on the on December 27th. Okay. So series one DVD, and that will really catch you up to, as well as the IFC recap. But but that's a half hour of that's perfect in a nutshell. What you need to know to get. But I would I would not recommend watching series two without watching. That's perfect because a week and a half later, then series two starts, and then people will be perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. primed. Yeah. Cool. Well, Cross, thanks for coming in, man. It's good to see you. Hey, I, hard I, I, haven't, no I haven't seen you in years. I feel like it's been years. Well, it has. I, I don't live here anymore. I know, but I come to New York a, a lot. But, but I was just... in London for the last two years. Ah, shit. See, there's that. Out of excuses. Um, fuck. Well, I got to say, I, I'm impressed by your memory. Oh. Going way back with these details of... Yeah, stuff sticks in there. These hazy, drunken nights. That, stuff stuff sticks uh, in there. They were very important ti- times to me because, I mean, I always... You know, I, I always looked up to you and that group as sort of like, that's, you know, that's what I want to do. And, you know, it was very... And God bless you, you went and did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but, am I, but I always feel like, ah, but I'm not really doing that. I mean, I, you know, it, it, that, when I make the, the, the comparison of like senior class, sophomore, freshman class, like that's always, that's how I've always felt. I'm you like, never catch up. No, but those guys are, but, they're, but, they, but Dave's age. doing that. Yeah. And, you know, like those guys and Zach's doing this, you know, and it just... It just always feels like, but not with any sense of anger, like, God damn it, just like, oh, but those guys are really what it's all about. So what we should basically do is instead of having a class reunion, say, class of 1992, we should just have a class reunion of... Class of ninety one through ninety six. The class of class of nineties. Yeah, class of beginning. 90s. <laughs> we'll do a class of nineties. It's going to be an awesome party. Uh, I can't wait. I'll see if the feelies. Can I'll play. get the squiggles. All right, All right you guys. <laughs> feelies. Enjoy your burrito, Jonah Ray. Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that is simple. For 10% off your new domain, go to hover.com slash Nerdist.